Welcome to the weekly sermon podcast of St. Luke's in Oklahoma City. We are one church with multiple campuses, and under the leadership of our senior pastor, Dr. Bob Long, we are a family of faith that seeks to share God's love and bring hope to the world. We invite you now to join us for a message of hope. Two others also, who were criminals, were led away to be put to death with him. And when they came to the place which is called the Skull, there they crucified him and the criminals, one on the right and one on the left. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And they cast lots to divide his garments. One of the criminals who were hanged railed at him, saying, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other rebuked him, saying, Do you not fear God, since you were under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we are receiving the due reward of our deeds, but this man has done nothing. And he said, Jesus, Remember me when you come into your kingdom. And he said to him, Truly, I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. This is the word of the Lord. The mercy of Christ gives us eternal life. not only for after death, but especially for here and now. Jesus has given us life to live as new creations every day. We can build a better world through Christ's saving grace. In 1967, Rich Luttrell was 18 years old. He had grown up in Illinois. His family had been rather poor. And it seemed like, you know, enlisting and joining the Army was a great way to get out of poverty. It was a great way to be able to serve a country that he loved. And so he left during his senior year. He enlisted. And that meant there would be no going to the prom, no lots of fun things, exciting year. No, he was in boot camp. When he got out of boot camp, he was sent to Vietnam. This was 1967. 18 years old. He had never even seen the face of a Viet Cong. He didn't want to see the face of the Viet Cong. But not long after being there, he was out on patrol with some of his buddies. As they were moving along to the forest, trying to be so very careful as they were out on this scouting trip, They were all moving together when he thought he saw something off to the side. Then he thought he heard a noise. And he turned to look, and when he did, there he saw was a VC. The shoulder, his rifle was at his shoulder, an AK-47 pointed right at Rich's head, 30 feet away. He said in that kind of a moment, it's amazing how life just slows down. Everything goes into slow motion. The amount of things that you can think about all start happening so quickly. 
And as he's trying to process in his mind that here is the enemy 30 feet away with his rifle pointed right at him. And he's wondering, why didn't he kill me? He has the element of surprise. He has the drop on me. No, he's wondering all of these things as it's just slowly moving through his mind. He said it seemed like forever. We literally were looking at each other eye to eye. It had to be just a moment. It all had to happen so fast. And his training kicked in and he squeezed the trigger. It was automatic. And there was the staccato of rifle fire just one after the other. Two other soldiers stepped out. Suddenly it was a firefight. Again, it seemed like it went on and on. It happened all within a few moments. The rest of the VC just moved back into the shadows there of the forest. His first battle. He had won. Three lives had been lost. And so had his innocence. He was standing there shaking and he really couldn't move. Some of the other soldiers went forward and began going through the pockets of the soldiers who had been killed. One soldier went over to the, the man that, that Rich had killed, pulled out his billfold, looked through it, and then just threw it on the ground. And when he did, something came out that he thought looked like maybe a picture. When he could get his feet to move, he went over and he looked for it and found it and picked it up. And what it was, was, was a photograph of this soldier. He was dressed in his fatigue, his uniform, and right beside him was a little girl, someone six, seven, eight years old. Her hair was in pigtails and it was braided. She looked perfect. He assumed it must be his daughter. He looked at that picture and then he put it in his pocket and he would carry it for the next 22 years. Rich would survive Vietnam. There would be many firefights he would be in, hand combat. It would be difficult. In the end, he would be wounded, and that's why he would be sent back home to the United States. He got home and he recuperated. He survived. In the end, he got married to Carol, and then they had two wonderful daughters. He got a good job. He moved on with his life. But every now and then, one of his daughters at Christmas would give him a Christmas present, like I'm sure you've received. I've received a new billfold from a daughter. And so whenever he got a new billfold, he would take all the things out of the other one and stick it in the new billfold along with the old picture. And whenever he would pull it out and he would look at it, Carol knew he was about to go into depression. Might be for a few days, might be for a few weeks but she knew what was coming. And she just started saying to him, why don't you throw the picture away? There's nothing you can do about it. It's in the past. It's nothing you can change. Just throw it away. But he couldn't. It's like he'd come to know these two people. And he never wanted to disrespect what he had to do as a soldier 
but he so grieved the consequences. And thinking that this young girl had grown up without a father. And it grieved him so much. As his wife said, you can't go back and change it. And still, and still, he was 40 years old. 22 years had gone by. He and Carol had gone to Washington, D.C., and they had gone so that they could go to the Vietnam Veteran Memorial, the wall. He wanted to see the names of some of his buddies that were on the wall. And on the night before he went, he was struggling with what to do. And finally it hit him. And so that night in the hotel, he sat down and he wrote a letter. And I want to read it to you. Rich would write, Dear Sir, for 22 years I have carried your picture in my wallet. I was only 18 years old that day we faced one another on the trail in Vietnam. Why you did not take my life, I'll never know. You stared at me for so long, armed with your AK-47, and yet you did not fire. Forgive me for taking your life. I was reacting just the way I was trained to kill VC. So many times over the years I've stared at your picture of you and your daughter, I suspect. Each time my heart and my guts would burn with the pain of guilt. I have two daughters myself now. Today I visit the Vietnam Veterans Memorial in D.C. I wanted to come here for several years now to say goodbye to many of my former comrades. I truly loved many of them, as I'm sure you loved many of your former comrades. As of today, we are no longer enemies. I perceive you as a brave soldier defending his homeland. Above all else, I can now respect the importance that life held for you. I suppose that is why I am able to be here today. It is time for me to continue the process, the life process, and relieve my pain and guilt. As I leave here today, I leave your picture with this letter. Forgive me, sir. I shall try to live my life to the fullest and the opportunity that you and many others were denied. So until we chance to meet again in another time and place, rest in peace, respectfully, Richard A. Luttrell. And Richard said when he laid that letter and that picture down at the foot of the wall, he felt like he was laying down a heavy burden to leave behind the guilt, to ask for forgiveness, and to go forward into the future. Dealing with the past is hard because you can't go back and change it. And every single one of us has done things that were hurtful. We have said things that harmed others. And because we can't go back and change it, we feel guilt. And there is pain. And the question is, what do you do with that? That's why this morning I want to continue on with this sermon series, Saving Grace. 
we're wanting to discuss this gift of God's salvation, this idea that it is through God's love for us, His children, that you and I can lay down the past, we give up the guilt, we experience the gift of forgiveness, and we move into the future with a spirit of hope, a spirit of peace, because of the gift of God's saving grace. That's why I chose this scripture this morning for us to continue on with of Jesus being crucified. I believe it is one of the most important scriptures in our Bible. You've got to remember that five days before, Jesus was making a triumphal entry into Jerusalem. Five days before on Sunday, He came riding into Jerusalem on a donkey. People were waving branches and shouting, Hosanna! They really believed that maybe this was the Messiah who was going to raise an army and overthrow the Romans. There were such high hopes and expectations. This triumphal entry. And then on Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Jesus was in the temple teaching. Again, teaching in a way that, man, they had not heard these things and He took on the authorities. And then on Thursday night, He was in Jerusalem celebrating the Passover. And that was the night that Judas would betray Him. Jesus was brought before the Sanhedrin and the high priest. They interviewed Him and decided He needed to die. The next morning He was taken to Pilate to be tried again, for only the Romans had the power to put someone to death. And now He was tried for sedition, treason. Pilate felt like this was a setup. He even said to the crowd, what do you want me to do with the King of the Jews? And they'd whip the crowd into a frenzy to cry, crucify Him. A riot was breaking out, and so Pilate said, fine, we'll do it. And they took Jesus out and nailed Him to a cross and between two thieves. And as Jesus is now on a cross between two thieves, I know He is looking out and He will see the Roman soldiers who nailed His hands. He will see some of the Sanhedrin, the religious authorities who were out to get Him, and they did. He will see some of the crowd who had been screaming that day, crucify Him. He would think about Pilate. He would think about His disciples who had all run away. And then Jesus would say, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Ten words to change everything. Ten words that Jesus spoke to God on behalf of the Roman soldiers and Pilate and His disciples. Ten words that He spoke to heaven that I believe have echoed down through the centuries for us so that we might hear Jesus' prayer. Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. It's when you and I experience that gift of God's forgiveness that we can lay down the past and the guilt and move forward into the future because of God's saving grace. It's what I want us to think about this morning and I just want to share with you three ideas. First of all, it's when you and I are willing to get honest with ourselves and before God 
and accept responsibility for what we have said and done, that we prepare our hearts for God's saving grace. To be willing to be honest about ourselves, with ourselves, before God, and accept responsibility. That is something we as a society do not like to do. That's not common in our culture now. The issue is, if I'm willing to say, I was wrong, I then always say, I made a mistake, but. I'm sorry, but. And we then give the excuse for why we did what we did. What a great way to ruin an apology. I'm so sorry, but. No, the issue is, I'm so sorry, period. I made a mistake, period. Can you forgive me? You think about the two thieves on the cross. You have one thief who says, if you are the Christ, come down from there, save yourself and save us. It's all about me. I want to be saved. Get me out of here. But you have another thief who speaks up and says, are you not afraid of God? For we are under the same sentence of condemnation. We're receiving our rewards for our deeds justly. You have one thief who's saying, you know what we did? And we're being punished for what we did? That's just. To accept responsibility for what you have done. We don't see a lot of that in today's world. And yet it's the way you prepare your heart to experience God's saving grace. Because secondly, no matter how broken your life, you are never out of the reach of God's forgiveness. I think that's the reason that we hate to admit what we've done and accept responsibility. Because when you do that and you accept responsibility, then you start to feel bad about yourself and you start thinking, I really am separated from God. If this is what I've done and I admit it, how can God love me? And yet exactly the opposite is true. What we're supposed to understand is that no matter how we quit on God, God will not quit on us. No matter if we leave God, God does not leave us. And it's not until you and I really can understand where we are that we will experience that amazing, saving grace. To accept, I made a mistake, I was wrong, I sinned, I failed, whatever it may be, period. It's then it prepares your heart to be able to experience that you're never beyond the reach of God's forgiveness. That's the gift of God's love. You know, I, I love Robert Leslie uh, as an author. He's an amazing man who's actually a physician. He passed away a year ago. Such a tragedy. Good man. Lived in Rock Hill, South Carolina. He was an emergency room physician for more than 30 years. He loved being in the emergency room because life is fast. It happens. It's exciting. You never know what's going to show up in the emergency room. And so that's what he loved doing. Worked there at General Hospital, Rock Hill, South Carolina. And doing it for over 30 years, he always kept notes of what was going on, what came in, because you never knew what was going to happen, and it was kind of interesting. So he would keep notes of all the different ones. And then finally he took those notes and sat down and wrote a book entitled Miracle in the ER. 
And he just talked about some of these things that he saw. And he tells the story of a young man named uh, Tony Bridges. Tony Bridges was 14 years old the first time they brought him in. He and a bunch of his friends were in a house robbing this house when they heard the sirens and everybody ran in a panic and he didn't see it. He ran straight through a plate glass door. That's what happens when you're 14 and you're afraid and running. They brought him in, his mother and the police, and they were stitching him up. It wasn't terrible. He didn't get in a whole lot of trouble. But at 15, they brought him in that found him in a ditch. He had been so severely beaten, the police thought he was dead. They could only surmise that it was a drug deal gone bad. He had been so kicked and beaten, but they brought him in, and Robert managed to take care of him and, and saved him. And then after that, it was just a series of things. I mean, one night they brought him in because his head had been smashed open by pool cue. He said, I never saw it coming. Next time it was a knife wound. Next time it was fight. It never was his fault. Every time he could say, it wasn't my fault. This is what, I don't know why this was happening. And then 17 years old, he got drunk. Didn't have a driver's license. Borrowed a friend's pickup truck went driving, jumped the Espinade, and hit an SUV head-on. It's a miracle that no one was killed. Several people were seriously hurt in the SUV. He had a laceration across his head. They brought him into the emergency room there at General Hospital. It was a Friday night, and it was packed. Robert and his assistant, Laura, were going as hard as they could go, and every single room was filled. When they brought Tony in, and he thought about it, and he finally said, Stick him in room C. In room C, there was a man, Ezekiel Stevenson. He happened to be the pastor at an African Methodist Episcopal church, the AME church. He was in that room because of his eight-year-old granddaughter who'd been jumping on a trampoline and broke her collarbone. And he thought, surely if he is in this room with Reverend Stevenson, that he'll mind his manners. So they put him in the room. He continued to have to work other patients who were more critical until finally they could get back to Tony. And by the time he got to Tony, well, Reverend Stevenson and his granddaughter had been released. So they came into Tony and they stitched up this laceration on his head. And when they were through, the police were waiting. They put him in handcuffs and they took him away. They wouldn't see Tony for five years. And then one Friday night, Robert and Laura, they were working in the ER. Again, all the excitement of things going on. They got notice a gunshot wound is coming in. And so the man arrived, and they're trying to work on this man to save his life. Laura calls down, we need an x-ray machine up here, stat. Immediately, here came in the x-ray tech with the machine. He's trying to get all set up. Robert is working um, on this man. When he looked up, and he was looking right into the face of Tony. He was dressed in his night white starched coat, had his name, Tony Bridges, General Hospital. He just did this double take. He looked over at Lauren. She looked, her mouth fell open. They didn't have time to talk. They were working here on this patient. The x-rays were taken and Tony left. Well, as soon as he got this man stabilized, and he did, he then went looking for Tony. And he finally goes, Tony, I mean, what in the world happened? How can this be? What happened to you? 
And Tony said, you know the night they brought me in of the accident? You put me in the room with Ezekiel Stevenson, pastor at the AME church. And I'm lying there on the stretcher. And he comes over and he puts his hand on my head. He had a really big hand. And it was so warm. He didn't say a word. But he stood there for such a long time with his hand on my head. And then I realized he was praying for me. I didn't think anybody would ever want to pray for me. I didn't think God would care about anybody praying for me. But as he stood there with his hand on my head praying, I felt something. It was a presence. You sewed me up and they took me away. I was sent to prison. And for the next two years, I just thought about that night. I thought about him praying for me. And I thought, is it possible that God could want someone to pray for me? Is that the presence I felt? I knew I needed to change. I wanted to change. I decided I could change. So I wanted to get out and become an x-ray technician. And after two years, I got out early on good behavior. Are you believing that? Me getting out for good behavior? I got out of two years. And I went to go to the Votech school. I became an x-ray technician. I graduated three weeks ago. And I asked to get a job back here at General Hospital because I wanted to work here where so many people had helped me. Because now I want to help people. And he turned to walk off and said, can you imagine that? And Robert Leslie said, yes, I can imagine that because I know the power of God's saving grace. No matter how broken our lives, we are never beyond the reach of God's forgiveness. We've all said things and we have all done things that have been hurtful. But when you and I are willing to accept responsibility, we prepare our hearts to discover that we're not beyond the reach of God, that God does not want to be away from us, but to draw us to Him. Father, forgive them. It's when you experience His saving grace. And so third, you know, Jesus began His ministry by going to the synagogue on the Sabbath and there he picked up a scroll and he read, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me to preach good news to the poor, to proclaim recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to set the prisoners free. It's how he started his ministry. And it's how he ended his ministry, setting the prisoners free. You have the thief who has been in prison and now he is on a cross and he is dying. And he says, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said, 
today. Today you will be with me in paradise to set the prisoner free. You know, I love that line and I think it's one of the most important lines for me theologically because it says so much about the promise of life after death, salvation. I use this passage and that specific line in so many sermons in which I will say to people as we come to do a worship service, Jesus said, today. I believe that means when you and I die, we are born into the presence of God. Today. It is a step from this life into a new life in God's presence. Today. You will be with me. I think the implication is we will know each other on the other side. That we who have loved will know those who we love in the new kingdom of heaven. Today you will be with me in paradise. The Greek word for paradise is really garden. And a garden is a place of growth and beauty. I believe life after death is still supposed to be a place of growth and beauty in the presence of God and those that we love. Today, you will be with me in paradise. It is that promise about eternal life, God's salvation. But I think it's more than that. I also think it's a word that is spoken to you and me. A word that says, today, you can be with me. You can know the presence of Christ now. You can open your life up to growth and learning paradise. It's the promise about salvation now, not just eternally. Today, you can be with me in paradise, Christ would say. When Rich Luttrell put that letter and picture at the base of the wall for the Vietnam Memorial, he would later say, I had no idea that there was still healing yet God wanted to do. That God wasn't through with me. Every day at the end of the day, they come by on the wall and they pick up whatever is left along the memorial. It's then put in a box, it is cataloged, and it's kept there in a place in Maryland. Drew Felton was the curator for the wall for many years. He too is a Vietnam veteran. He understood the pain that so many people went through in that adjustment to come back home. And so on the day that he, the letter was left there by Rich, they were all gathered up and that happened to be the letter that was left on top of the box. And when Drew saw it, he said it was the first time he had ever seen a picture of a Viet Cong soldier left at the wall. That caught his attention. And when he saw a Viet Cong soldier being left at the wall, he then read the letter and it so moved him to see what Rich had gone through and the emotions. He was asked to give speeches all the time, Drew was, and so he began using the story of this picture and the letter that Rich had written. For the next six years, wherever he went, he helped to tell that story. And it was such a powerful thing, he was asked, would you create a book? Healing at the wall. Memories at the wall. And so he did. And of course he included this picture and the letter that Rich had left. Well, a friend saw the book when it came out and thought, I know this would be so powerful for Rich. He took the book to Rich and gave it to him as a gift. Rich had not heard of it. He took it. He just opened it up. And the page he opened it up to was the letter and that picture. 
And when he saw it, he just burst out sobbing. He hadn't looked at that picture in six years. And when he saw that picture, he said, I knew what God wanted me to do. There was healing yet to go. So he called up Drew and said, can I have the picture back? They never give things back that have been left at the wall. But this had been so powerful, Drew flew in person to give him the picture back. He took the picture, had a copy made, had a copy of the letter made. He then wrote the story of what was happening and Drew helped him to get to the ambassador, the Vietnamese ambassador there in Washington, D.C. and said, do you think you could possibly help us find this family? Well, there's 3 million people living in Hanoi, 8 million, 80 million in Vietnam. It's like looking for a needle in a haystack. But he was quite moved by the story and he said, well, I know the editor of a newspaper in Hanoi and we'll send it to him and see if he'll run the story. And so they did. The newspaper in Hanoi ran the story. In the end, there was no response. They really didn't expect it. However, there was a lady who was living out in a little village. And you couldn't get a lot of necessities in that village, but she had a son who had moved to Hanoi. And she reached out to him to say, would you get these items for me and ship them to me? And as a good son, he went out and got the items to ship them. And what did he do? He wrapped it up in newspaper and shipped it to his mom. When she received this package out in the little village, she opened it up and removed the things. And when she'd removed the items, there lying, looking up at her, was this picture and this story. She knew this family. It was her brother and her niece. She took the picture down the street to her niece and showed it to her. It was a couple weeks later that unsuspecting Rich received a letter. Dear Mr. Richard, the child that you have taken care of through this picture for over 30 years, she become an adult now and she spent so much suffrage in her childhood by the missing of her father. I hope you will bring joy and happiness to my family. Lan. Her name was Lan. She was married now. She had several children. She knew what she was asking. Her rich knew what she was asking. She wanted him to come. He had swore he would never go back to Vietnam. But now he and his wife, Carol, were buying tickets and making preparation to fly back to Vietnam, where they landed and then received a guide and translator to drive out to the small village. He had wondered what it would ever be like. What should he say? What should he do? How would the family react? When they came to the village, there was 30 or 40 people all standing together, and off to one side was a lady by herself must have been around 40 years old. He knew it was her. He had brought a bouquet of flowers and he had been working on a line in Vietnamese that he could speak. And he walked over to her and said, today I return the photo of you and your father 
which I have kept for 33 years. Please forgive me. And she took the photo and placed it against her head. And then she fell against his chest and just began to sob. And Rich began to sob and they cried and cried. They could not control themselves. It took a while to finally compose themselves. And she said, this is the only picture I have of my father. And Rich said, well, your father was a very brave man, a very courageous soldier, a man of compassion, a man who respected life. And Land said, we want to thank you as a family, for we feel you have brought the spirit of my father home, and we forgive you. And Rich said, that day, I laid down my burden of guilt and knew I could begin again. The past is hard because you can't go back and change it. And so if we're not carrying, we carry guilt and all the pain. And yet it's Jesus who came and spoke to God on our behalf. Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. To accept responsibility. To be willing to know that gift of God's forgiveness. That no matter what you have done, you are not beyond that gift of His forgiveness. It really is what will set you free. Today. You can be with me, Jesus said, where you're growing and learning. It's paradise. It's because of God's saving grace. It's in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let each of us lift up our own silent prayer. You've been listening to the sermon podcast of St. Luke's United Methodist Church in Oklahoma City. We are one church with multiple campuses. Learn all about St. Luke's different services and programs on our website, stlukesokc.org. We trust you will experience God's love and hope throughout this week.